This morning, we're kicking off a brand new series at the church we're gonna, we're, where we are going through the book of Acts together. And so I would invite you to open with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 11 is where we are going to be today. And we're going to have a wonderful time over the next season just going through the book of Acts together, verse by verse, picking apart God's word. How many of you know that God's word speaks to us today? Amen? That it, it's not just for yesterday, but it's for us today, right here, right now. And I believe that God is going to speak to all of our hearts today through his word. The book of Acts is an incredible book of the Bible. There's not another book like it in the Bible. It's totally unique in all of the Bible in that it is the only book dedicated to telling the story of the early church. The book of Acts tells the story of how the church that you and I are still a part of today, how it got started. Where did we come from? What is our origin? Where did we begin? We find it in the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is the only story, the only book in the Bible that tells this story. There are four gospels that tell the, the story of Jesus' birth and, and life and ministry and death and resurrection. There's, there's four stories in, in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four gospels, but there's only one story that tells the story of the book of Acts and or, the, or rather the story of the church, and that's the book of Acts. The book of Acts covers about 30 years of, of the beginning of the church, and it's, it's like the highlight reel of all the most important uh, moments in the life of the church. And this historical work is undertaken, it's written by a man named Luke, a man named Luke. Now Luke also wrote, can you guess what other book of the Bible he wrote? Luke, hey, we got some people, we got some scholars here this morning. So Luke wrote Luke, and he also wrote Acts. Luke is part one, Acts is part two. Luke is the beginning, and, and Acts is like the follow-up, like the sequel, part two. And combined, here's a little factoid for all you Bible nerds, combined Luke and Acts make up the majority of the New Testament. Some people think that Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. Actually, it's Luke. Now, Paul wrote more books, but his books were small and teeny tiny. Luke and Acts are, are very long. And so Luke is actually the one who wrote the most of the New Testament. It wasn't Paul. There you go, Bible nerds. Something for you to chew on this morning. So he, he, so he writes more of the New Testament than any other author. We know from the book of Colossians that Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. How many of you know that if you're a doctor, you have to be pretty smart, right? You, 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 don't, you don't just wake up one day and kind of coast your way into being a doctor. Or, wow, you know what, I, you know what, I think I'll just go be a doctor. No, no like it takes... Years and years and years of training, of study, of discipline, and also you have to have like some smarts, some, some brains to be a doctor. Luke, who writes this, is a physician. He is a doctor. And he, he sets about compiling the story of Jesus' life and also the life of the church. 
So he's highly educated. The people who read Greek, I don't read Greek, but the people that do, they say that his use of the Greek language is the best in the New Testament, which shows that he was highly educated. Like when Peter writes, it's kind of like fisherman Greek, you know, kind of like your Facebook English, right? Like that's Peter. He was a fisherman. But Luke, his, his use of the Greek language is, is very uh, uh, impeccable. It it's, it's shows he's very highly educated. Also, as a doctor, he was probably a man of means. He, he probably came from a, a different class of society than most of the other disciples and apostles, and he is a Gentile. So what Acts shows us is that God does extraordinary things through ordinary people. That God is doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. How many of you, that's good news for you? Because you're just, you're just a normal, you're just a, actually none of us in here are normal, just FYI, (laughs) FYI. We are a peculiar people, the Bible says. And as I look around this room, all I see is peculiarities everywhere. We're, we're, We're anything but normal, but we are, we can be kind of ordinary and God is doing extraordinary things through just ordinary people, everyday people in their everyday interactions, but God shows up, and it's exciting, and it's awesome, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful, and you're going to love it. Sometimes, uh, especially if you've read through the book of Acts before, or you've kind of grown up in church, we have a tendency to read the book of Acts through rose-colored glasses, where, where we see the church and we think they had it all perfect and we think they had it all right. And what you actually see when you open up the pages is that these are not perfect people. These are very ordinary, imperfect people trying to figure stuff out, trying to work through life. It's the same challenges that many of us face day in and day out. They're facing those. They're also facing opposition and persecution which many of us are not facing, and yet in the midst of all of it, the kingdom of God is advanced. The gospel goes forward. Jesus' work is accomplished. And so it's very hopeful to me that even in the midst of a a church where everything's not perfect, can I get an amen, that God is still working, that God is still moving, that God is still advancing his mission and his kingdom and his gospel. And so... The Gospels, they paint this picture for us of the Christian life lived out by the perfect man. The Gospels are the picture of what Christianity looks like if the perfect man lives it, the Lord Jesus. The book of Acts is what Christianity looks like lived out by imperfect people who are being perfected by Jesus Christ. So it's a beautiful story. I don't know how many weeks we're going to be in it. It's 28 chapters. So at least 28 weeks, at least, but we're spending five weeks on the first two chapters, so it's going to be a while. So you you would do well to open up the book of Acts and start reading, start studying, just start reading through. I think it will be a blessing to you. So with that being said, let's jump into the first 11 verses this morning. Luke writes, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up 
after he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of God to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you when your word is read, your voice is heard. Thank you for speaking to us today. Lord, we want to hear from you. We, we, we have gathered here today. We have assembled as your people. Lord, to spend time in your house, to spend time in your presence, to spend time as a part of your family, to spend time with our Father. Father, speak to us today. Instruct us, help us, mold us, shape us. Lord, you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us. None of us is left out of your plan. Help us to accomplish what it is you have for us, the reason for which we were created. We want to we accomplish our created purpose, use our time together to, to mold us, to shape us, to make us into your people, to help us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to build us up. Lord, in this world, there's so many people that are so lost, that are so confused, that have listened to the lies of the enemy and the voice of the enemy who has deceived them, who has darkened their mind, who has twisted their thoughts. Lord, help us as your people to be a light shining in this dark world or to be salt that, that would cause people to thirst for the true and living water that only you can bring. Lord, we thank you for our lives and what you're doing in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got three points for you this morning from this passage, three simple points, and one of them uh, is super easy. The first one is, is really easy because the first point from this week is my second point from last week. And it's simply this. It's all about Jesus. What's the book of Acts all about? You need to know it's all about Jesus. Now, if you look in your Bible, the title, what does the title say for this book in, in your Bible? What, what is it? Does, does anybody have a Bible this morning? No, no, the, the, the Acts of the Apostles, right? That's what it's called in our Bible, the Acts 
of the apostles, or the, the shorter title is simply Acts. But, but I want you to know that these aren't the acts of the apostles. These aren't the deeds of the apostles, the works of the apostles. These are the acts of the Lord Jesus through his apostles. But it's Jesus that's the one doing the work. It's Jesus the one who's advancing his cause and his mission by his spirit. And we see this so clearly in this first verse where Luke writes, In my first book I wrote about all that Jesus began. Say that word, began. To do and to teach. Those are Jesus' works and Jesus' words. The things he taught and the things that he did. His works and his words. But he says, now I'm writing you a second story. My first book was about everything he began to do. But let me tell you something. He's still working today. That the Jesus didn't stop working when he went into heaven. That the work of Jesus Christ continues today. It's not the acts of the apostles. It's not the acts of the church. It is all about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the subject of the book of Acts. He's the point of every story. He's the point that everyone is pointing to. Every miracle, every sign, every wonder that's in the book of Acts. And we're going to get into all of them. But all of them do one thing. They point to the risen Christ. They point to Jesus who's on the throne. Amen. It's all about Jesus. And if we read this book thinking that it's about something else, we're going to miss the point. We're going to miss the point of what Luke is trying to communicate to us, which is simply this, that Jesus has risen from the dead. He's not in a grave somewhere rotting. He's actually on a throne ruling, amen? That through his spirit and by his power, ordinary people are accomplishing extraordinary things. But it's Jesus who's doing the work. It's Jesus that's doing the work. You know, all of us, by God's grace, have a job to do in the kingdom, all of us, by God's grace, have, have a work to accomplish for Jesus. But let us not forget that it has to be Jesus working through us. If we try to do it in our own strength and we try to do it in our own power, in our own ability, in our own talents, in our own uh, intellectual prowess, whatever it may be, it won't accomplish, it won't advance the kingdom of God unless it's done by the power of God's spirit. It's all about Jesus. And let me tell you, if, if, when you get to, when, when, whenever we finally get to Acts chapter 28, I don't know when we'll ever get there, but we will. We will eventually get there. What you will find if you read the book of Acts, and I encourage you to do it, I encourage you to get through 28 before we get there as a church, but what you'll find is that the, there's no ending to it. There's no conclusion. It just stops. It's not, and they lived happily ever after, or, uh, you know, and this blah, blah, blah. There is absolutely no ending. It just, it just stops. And the reason why is because it's still happening today. The, the book of Acts, the, the story of the church, it, it, it's not concluded in Acts chapter 28, that, that we, you and I, if, if there is an Acts chapter 29, we're living it out right here and right now. 
that Jesus is still moving through his church today. That's me and that's you. Because we know that the church is not a building, amen? The church is the people. And Jesus is still moving through his church today. Point number one, it's all about Jesus, amen? Now the second point for us this morning, I, I tried to leave this out three or four times, but I really felt the Lord impress on me that I needed to leave it in. And the reason I wanted to leave it out is because I've got way too much to talk about today. I've already got way too much, and I wanted to save some time by leaving this second point out, but I really felt the Lord wanted me to leave it in. So this is for somebody today. I believe it's for somebody today. Maybe it's somebody listening on the live stream. Glad you're listening. Welcome to Destiny via the internet. Anyway, it's for somebody here today. And that's the second point is that waiting is part of the Christian life. Waiting is part of the Christian life. Acts 1-4, while he was staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from to Jerusalem, but to, say it, wait for the promise from the Father. Jesus uses what many of us would consider to be a four-letter word, W-A-I-T. Wait. It's the W word. How many of you like to wait? One? Anybody else like to wait? Two, three. Okay. We've got more people that like to wait. Come talk to me after church. <laughs> I don't like to wait. My wife will be the first one to say that is the truth. I don't like to wait for anything. For anything. In fact, I hate to wait. And we live in this have it your way, have it now culture, right? Where, where everything is like, you know, you can order anything to the nth degree through your app. Have, have, you, have you discovered how wonderful this is? That you don't have to deal with human beings anymore? That you could just put your orders in exactly how you want it? I want pineapple with no cheese on this side of the pizza, and I want mushrooms and double cheese on this side of the pizza. Like, you just tap, 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 or your Starbucks order that has 14 steps, you don't have to give that to a, in, to a fallible human being anymore. You just punch a button in your app, and there it goes. But even when we do that, when, after I hit the button, I want it ready now right? How many of you, you're the people that stand at the microwave and like, come on, let's go. What's taking so long? Friday night, we had a birthday party for my son Judah. He turned seven. I ordered some pizza on an app. It told me what time it would be ready. When I got there, there at the drive-thru, there was 10 cars in the line. So I said, you know what? I'll go inside. I'll beat the system. I'm smart. I'm not going to get in line like all these idiots. Park the car, go inside. There is 28 people in the waiting room of this establishment that sells pizza that you can't actually eat there. All they have is a waiting room. 28 of us crammed into this hot, stinky, sweaty waiting room. And you know what I had to do there? 
I had to wait for my pizza. And the Lord tested my patience. He tested my character. He tested my Christianity. He tested my calling. He... It's cheese and pepperoni and sauce. Like, it's not rocket science. What is happening? There is some kind of breakdown here. I wanted to go behind the counter and start, like, giving people orders. Like, you need to get on this and you need to get on that. But I, I didn't. Thank God I didn't. But I thought about it. For about 20 minutes I thought about it. While I waited for my pizza. I don't like to wait. I hate to wait. But waiting is part of the Christian life. Sometimes God asks us to wait. And I'm not talking about pizza. I'm talking about things that are much more important than pizza. Sometimes we have a vision for our life, a dream, a calling on our life. And we, we're ready. We feel like we're ready to step into it. And we want to use our gifts or our talents or or, or maybe you're, you're waiting for Mr. Wonderful or Mrs. Wonderful or, or you've you're been waiting to have children or maybe you're waiting for your children to grow up and move out of the house. That's where me and Heather are right now. <laughs> maybe you're... We don't like to wait. We don't like to wait. But waiting is part of the Christian life. And Jesus here says, guys, look, you, you, I've got an awesome mission. I've got an awesome plan. I've got an awesome power for you. But before you get started, I need you to wait. I need you to wait. And he didn't explain to them why they had to wait. Notice that? He didn't say, I need you to wait because X, Y, and Z. And this is how this fits into the plan of God that's been purposed from all the creation of the world. He just said, guys, go and wait. He didn't even tell them how long. We know that they didn't have to wait very long. They waited for about 10 days. But other men in the Bible had to wait much longer. You know, when God called Abraham and promised to give him a son, Abraham was 75 years old. Now, if God made a promise to me that at 75 I would become a father... I would expect that that promise would be made, made good pretty quickly. But we know that Abraham waited 25 years and that the son of the promise was born to him at the age of 100. Had to wait 25 years. Some of you aren't even 25 years old. Others of you have clothes that are older than 25 years. You're wearing pants that are over 25 years old this morning. King David, anointed to be king. We don't know exactly how old he was. It just tells us he was a young man. So he could have been as early as 7 or 8. He could have been as old as 15. Yet King David doesn't become king until he's 30. David had to wait 20 to 15 years before the plan and purpose of God was fulfilled in his life. Waiting is part of the Christian life. The reason God has us wait is that oftentimes there's things in our life that God needs to work out. 
There's stuff in our heart. There's stuff in our character. There's stuff in our past. There's, there's stuff that we've got to work out. It needs to be worked out of us. Sometimes God has this weight because there's things he needs to work into us. We're not ready to step into what he has for us. We're not ready to, 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 to move forward until he works some stuff out and he works some stuff in. Nevertheless, it's a season of waiting. And I want to encourage you today, if you find yourself in that season, it's okay. It's okay. Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. That when we wait upon the Lord in his timing, in, in his plan, that we will actually renew our strength. That our strength for what the next season is and what God has for us moving forward, that it will be renewed and given to us. You know, sometimes God has us wait, not because he has to work something out of us or into us, but there's other circumstances that need to fall into place, totally unrelated to us, but that God is working his plan. And so we as his people, listen, if you're in, you find yourself in that place today, it's okay. Let me encourage you. God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. And you can trust in him and trust in his timing. It's not pleasant to wait, but God has a purpose for us in the waiting. So, number one, it's all about Jesus. Number two, waiting is, a sim is simply a part of the Christian life. Number three, you don't need all the answers to be used by God. Can I get an Amen. Listen to the question the disciples asked Jesus when they come to him. So they came together and they asked him, Lord, will you, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now what they're asking him is that there had been all these promises, all these prophecies that had been given about a descendant of David who would restore the kingdom of God to Israel. And at the time that this is taking place and the, the time the disciples are asking this, the kingdom of Israel is under occupation from the Roman Empire. The kingdom of Israel is not even a, a kingdom. They're, they're part of the Roman Empire under the taxation of Rome, under the oppression of Caesar. And so God's people are waiting for this promised Messiah to come. And they've seen Jesus say, I'm the Messiah. They've seen Jesus crucified, buried, and risen again. It's very obvious to them that he is who he said he was. And so they come together and they ask Jesus this question. Are you going to restore the kingdom now? Are you going to kick Pilate out of the governor's mansion? Are you going to set up God's kingdom here in Israel, here on earth? And the, the truth is, he wasn't going to do that right then and there. And he wasn't even about to do that right then and there. They were so far off on this thing. Like, it wasn't going to happen in the next few weeks, the next few years, the next few centuries. The next few millennia, it still has not happened. They've got their end times doctrine all out of whack. They don't have it all together. They don't have all the answers. They've got big holes in their theology. Yet they can still be used by God. Jesus basically tells them, 
It's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. He basically says, guy, that question you asked me, that's above your pay grade. It's not, it's not up to you. It's not for you to know. Don't worry about it. It's not about you. And, and the kingdom here, it, it's about what I'm going to do, when I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to tell you guys. So sorry about that. And look, the disciples, they're kind of confused about this. They don't have every point of their doctrine totally perfect. And so what I want you to understand is you don't have to have it all figured out to be used by God. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have every single point and every single line of a systematic theology totally memorized to be a witness for Christ and to be used by God. The devil loves to keep people from sharing their faith by telling them that they don't know enough. Now, listen, is doctrine important? Yes, absolutely. Should you study it? Yes, I think you should. And we should strive to study God's word and to to, to, to memorize scripture and to, to know the truths of God's word and anchor our soul to them deeply. Yes, I believe that we should, but it doesn't mean we can't start being effective for Jesus right now. One of the worst things that you can do is compare your beginning to somebody else's ending. We're, we're, well, I'm not ready and, and I don't have everything that I need. Listen, you'll never have everything that you need. But you got to get started where you're at. You, you can't get on Instagram or social media and, and see other people and everything. Wow, look at what they're doing for God. And I wish this. And, and you compare yourself to, to them. But you got to start somewhere. you you, you got to start with where you're at. You don't have to have it all figured out to be a witness for Christ. Well, what if they ask me something that I don't know? Listen, do you know what you say? Three simple words. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about that. But what I do know, Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and he's risen from the dead, and he's coming again one day soon. Listen, if you know that, that's all you need to know to be used for God, to get started. Now, continue to study. Continue to learn God's word. Continue to move forward. But get started with where you're at. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't need all the answers. But the second part to number three, what you do need is the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't need all the answers to get started. But what you do need is the power of God's Spirit in your life. So he says, guys, it's above your pay grade. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has set by his own authority. But... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has been poured out on you. And you will be my witnesses. Everybody say that word, witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you know why we're here today worshiping Jesus? Is because they fulfilled their calling in their generation. And the saints of God for the last 2,000 years, have fulfilled their calling to be witnesses. And the question that we have that is laid before us in every generation is, will we be faithful to be witnesses for Christ in our generation? 
It, for them, it was Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria until the ends of the earth. For us, it's, it's northwest San Antonio, San Antonio, Texas, United States, and to the ends of the earth. Will we be faithful in our generation? Will we be faithful to be witnesses with the power of God? I want to look at this word power here for a minute. My dad... One of his sermons that I really remember closely, and, and many of you knew my dad, Dave Bell, who was the pastor here for many years. He would teach on this verse, and, and he would teach on this word power. And he would use the Greek word for power that's used here, which is the word dunamis. Can you say dunamis? It's the same word that we get dynamite from. This kind of explosive power. We're not talking about a little LED light bulb power. We're talking about massive, explosive resurrection power. Amen. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in each one of us by the Spirit of God. That's the power that he's talking about. Not this little, tiny, puny, little hearing aid battery. Uh, we're talking about more powerful than the sun itself. In Ephesians, it talks about the immeasurable power of God. And you think about all of the power that we can measure. We can measure the power of a hurricane, category one, two, three, four, or five. We can measure the power of an earthquake on the Richter scale. We can measure the power of a, an atomic bomb. We can even measure the power of solar flares, but one thing that is beyond power, it's the power of the Holy Spirit in the work, in the life of a believer. The resurrection power, the same power that God used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. That power available to us, that power in us and through us, dunamis power, say that word dunamis, dunamis power. Listen, you have that same power. This isn't something reserved for the spiritual elite. This isn't something for the pastors or a priest or a missionary. This is for every believer, for every saint, for every Christian in every walk of life, from pastor to, to carpenter to mechanic to stay-at-home mom, the power of Jesus Christ for you to enable you, to enable you to what? To be a witness for Christ. Everywhere we go, we're to be witnesses for Jesus. Every single place that we go. Even waiting in the stinky, sweaty, jam-packed waiting room of a pizza parlor, we can witness for Christ. Or we cannot. <laughs> we love power. We love power. People are drawn to power. We want to be around places that have power. We want to be around people who have power. It's just, it's just the way that people are. Do you know why you're in here this, in this building this morning? Because we have power. Because we have electricity today. I kid you not. I love all of you with all my heart. But if you showed up here this morning and we didn't have power... I bet you there's some of you 
You would have gone back to your car and went home this morning. Or if there had been an announcement on Facebook, hey, I'm sorry, church, we're out of power today, but hey, we're still going to gather and worship. I know it's going to be hot and sweaty and muggy, but it's going to be great. And you might not be able to hear me, but I'm going to shout as loud as I can. There would be some of you who would not have come to church today. We're in here today because there's power. Power to give us light. Power to amplify my voice. Power to run the air conditioner. I think. <laughs> power. We, we, we want to be around places that have power. How many of you don't lie? The power's gone out at your house in the dead of summer and you went to a hotel. Some of you groaned because you did. Some of you groaned because you didn't. Or you went and you camped out at, at Uncle Leo's or, or wherever, you know, you went. Or you went to Walmart and just walked around for four hours because you, just to get out of the heat. We need power. Listen, we are attracted to places and people that have power. And do you know what we call something that has no power? What do we call something that doesn't have power? It's dead. That's right. It's dead. Have, have you ever seen one of these that has no power? What is it? It's dead. You know what it also is? It's totally useless. It's to you can't use this thing for nothing. Except maybe to throw it at your kids if they're being stupid. You know, maybe you could do that. Like, this, this thing is, is good for nothing without power. It's dead. How many of you, the most important part of your day is when you go to bed at night, you got to plug your phone in. Because if you don't, you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to be on red and it's going to ruin your day. You know what you're going to do all day? You're going to be running around looking for places that you can, can plug in and get some power. And when this thing is dead and you plug it in and it comes on and it, it smiles at you... That little Apple logo warms your heart, and oh, it's got power now. I can't wait to get on Facebook and watch all the political arguments that just enrich my life and cause me to flourish in my soul. We need power. Just like this thing needs power to be useful, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to be useful. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you are dead. But, but we, we <laughs> here's where I'm going to zing you. We pay so much more attention to getting our phone plugged in and not our spirits plugged in. If, if we only paid 10% as much of attention as to what our spirits are plugged into, as, as the care that we take of plugging our phones in. Your world, your life, your family, your destiny, your legacy would be totally transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when you plug into the Holy Spirit, you're not plugging into 110. You're, you're plugging into 10 billion. You're plugging into the power of God. Amen. Listen, don't be a dead Christian, a dull Christian, a, a Christian that goes through life living without the power of God. 
It's the same with our spiritual life. Just as we got to plug our phones in, we got to plug ourselves in. Jesus, John chapter 15, abide in me and my word abide in you and you will bear much fruit. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Basically, plug in to the power of the Holy Spirit. He uses this word earlier. He said, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That word baptized, that don't mean to mess with anybody here today, but that, that's not just a couple little sprinkles. That, that word baptized is not just like the people who have been sitting on the front row this morning. They've been baptized a little bit. No, 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 no. The word baptized is total immersion. Total immersion is what that word means. Totally under, totally permeated, soaking, dripping wet with the Holy Spirit. That's how the Christian life is meant to be lived. Not just going through the whole week and running totally out of gas and limping into church on Sunday and Oh, I hope the worship can start to bring me back to life. And I hope Pastor Matt heard from God because I need something to fill me up. And then living the rest of the week on empty, living the rest of the week totally dry or the rest of the month. It's good to see you here again today. Like every day, every day. What if we every day plugged in? What if we every day said, Lord, I'm, I, I need your spirit. I, I need your power today. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to live my life in my own strength. I'm not going to focus on all the distractions of the world, but I'm going to focus on you because see point one, it's all about you. What, what, what if we, we allowed the Holy Spirit to fill us Every day we set time aside for his presence and, and for his, to hear his word and to, to worship him every single day so that we're not going through life on, on empty, so that we can be the witnesses he's called us to be. This is what the power of the Holy Spirit is for, and you will be my witnesses. What are we witnesses of? We're witnesses of the resurrection. We're witnesses of the fact that Jesus is alive. That's what we're witnesses of. That's what we're called to be witnesses of, that we have seen the risen Christ, that Jesus Christ has changed our lives, that he is alive, and he's alive inside of me, and he can be alive inside of you. And you don't have to live your life in bondage to sin, in bondage to your family tree and legacy. God has a new plan, a new life, a new legacy for you. That's what we're to be about, to be witnesses of the resurrection power of Jesus. You don't have to know it all. See, point two. Wait, what are we on? No, that's point three. Sorry. Well, I don't know. Who cares? You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because Jesus is alive. Jesus is not dead. He is risen. And he gives us his power through his spirit. If your faith is stagnant or not growing... When was the last time you shared your faith? 
When was the last time you witnessed for Christ? Start doing that and watch the power of the Holy Spirit show up. Being a witness is the key to being a Christian. Bearing witness is the key to being Christian. If you want to know what being a Christian is all about, it's about being a witness for Christ. You cannot separate the presence and the power of God from the mission of God. And the church, you and I, we are God's plan to carry the gospel into our families and into our community. And he gives us his power to enable us to do it. And we're going to keep reading about this and studying this all throughout the book of Acts. How God is pouring out his spirit today. And that we too can be used by God in extraordinary ways. Just like the disciples. Just like the apostles. Who are ordinary men. That Jesus did some extraordinary things through. Can I get an amen? Listen, I don't know where you're at today. But what I do know is that you need more of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. You need more of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. You need more of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need God's Spirit in you, working through you, speaking even, giving you words to say as you share your faith, as you witness, as you live a life of, of loving people, as you have the Spirit set you free from brokenness, from bondage, from sin. You need more of God's Spirit working in your life. And so really my hope and goal as we go through the book of Acts together is to see God take some ordinary people and do some extraordinary things through us. Do you want that for yourself? That, that, I believe that you do. If you're a child of God, I know that's what you want. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your spirit, Lord, that you have poured out upon your church. Lord, that we have access to your power Lord, power to live a victorious life, power to overcome every obstacle, power to, to live uh, not a life in bondage to sin, but a life set free from sin. Lord, a life of, of bringing people into your kingdom, of, of sharing our faith wherever it is that you have us, of seeing our family tree changed, of, of seeing uh, our communities changed by the love and the power of the risen Christ. Lord, we ask for an outpouring of your spirit. Pour out your spirit in our hearts. Pour out your spirit in our lives. Pour out your spirit in our families. Lord, let our families be a place that, that are, are soaked in, are baptized in your spirit. Where you are our main focus. You are the hero of the story. You, you are the one that our lives are about. That you are working through us, your church. Lord, let our, our church be a, a place that is baptized in your spirit, sopping wet, dripping with your spirit. Lord, not a church that's dry, just going through the motions, but a, a church that's alive, seeing people's hearts and lives changed, welcomed into your family, set free from the past, living out their destiny. Lord, that our city would be a, a city baptized in your spirit. Lord, that the, the generational curses of poverty and brokenness and drunkenness and, and revelry and, and all of the things in our city, Lord, that those things would be broken by the power of your spirit, that people would be set free to live the life you've called us to live. Lord, help us to be your witnesses. Help us to be your spokespeople. Help us to be your people. 
and the place and the time and the season. Help us to be faithful in our generation, to be witnesses where you've planted us, where you've placed us, starting here to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap this morning.